0: You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. I tell you what, after that last song, if you ain't stirred, your spoon doesn't fell out of your bowl. Anyway, praise the Lord. And so anyhow, and today, I know he's not going to be happy about it. I might get fired, but today's our pastor's birthday as well. Would you give him a hand of appreciation? Happy birthday, brother. Amen. The Bible says give honor where honor's due. Amen. Praise God. I appreciate our pastor and his family. They are a major blessing to my life and also this church and all the Christian workers that are in this uh, building. We just appreciate you so much. You are what makes this happen. I was telling some, I was in a wedding or at a wedding up in Kansas City last week, and um, I was sharing with uh, a brother who uh, had just gone through uh, a trial as a pastor. And, and I was telling him about our church, and I say what I always say, man, that I've never been to a church with better community than this church. Just the love and the acceptance and the uh, fellowship that you receive in this place is just beyond anything I've ever experienced. And I grew up in church, and I'm an old dude, okay? So that's saying a lot, amen? So thank you. Thank you for being who you are and for letting God work in your life in that way. I want to uh, minister to you today out of the book of 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. I'm going to go ahead and read this entire chapter. It's only 13 verses. And uh, then we're going to talk about it. Amen. Uh, In verse 1 it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant, whose name was Ziba, Everybody say, Zeba, Zeba. And, <laughs> and when they had called unto David, when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Zeba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet, and the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Everybody said Lodabar. We're going to talk about these guys in a minute. And and King David sent and fetched him fetched him out of the house of that guy from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth Mephibosheth. I want everybody to look at your neighbor and say, Mephibosheth. I just want you to know how hard that is to say. And so when I louse it up up here, you're going to have pity upon me. Amen. When Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant." And David said unto him, "Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat at my bread, eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shalt lookest upon him such a dead dog as I am? And the king called to Zeba Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son." all that pertain to Saul and all to his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth thy master's son shall eat bread always at my table. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do as for Mephibosheth said the king he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame in both of his feet man I love the Bible don't you you just love this book Amen. It is an awesome book. And you know what I like about, uh, one thing I like about it is the stories that are contained within the covers of it regarding various men that it talks about. And you know, as far as men go, uh, uh, other than Daniel, I I never read anything in the book of Daniel that said that Daniel made any mistakes or, or messed up or had any foul ups in his life. I'm sure he wasn't wasn't a perfect man, but the Word of God does not expose any of his flaws really. But everybody else, <laughs> pretty much, all the rest of them, there's always something that you learn about them that you realize that, you know what, they weren't infallible. These were people just like you and I. Amen. And, and you know, uh, it, it kind of gives you a little hope, you know. And, and what's cool is is that some of these guys, you know, the Bible, not all of them, but a few of them, the Bible actually, uh, you know, uh, assigns to them like a title, you know, a, 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 a handle, a brand, if you will, where they, we, we can kind uh, of be of, aware of how that God viewed them, you know. Abraham had his name changed from Abram to Abraham a man which meant a father of a multitude, but that wasn't the only thing that he was known as. he was also known as a friend of God, a friend of God. That's a pretty good title, you know? I, I don't know if they called this guy this all the time, but I know for a fact that at one point Gideon had an angel show up at his place, and he looked at him and he said, "Yeah, you may be called Gideon, but you know what? You are a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of valor." I look in the word of God and I see where where uh you know Peter, Peter, the rock. The rock. Huh? Before Dwayne, there was Peter. The rock. And then you had those guys, James and John, huh? Sons of thunder. Man, it sounds like a, a world wrestling federation. The rock! The sons of thunder! Yeah. I mean, there. <laughs> I mean, those are cool titles. I mean, wouldn't you like to know that God's got a title for you like that? You know, and and and. But David, I, I don't know. In my mind, David was the guy who topped them all, because David's title in two places in the Word of God it speaks of David as a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. Wow, David was not an infallible guy. He had made mistakes i mean we're talking about a guy who committed adultery with another man's wife and then had that man killed okay i haven't done that praise god and hopefully none of you have done that but you know that's 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 pretty big that's big stuff when in the old category of sin and but yet at the same time god looked at david and he said he was a man after god's own heart And, and you know i got to thinking about this in the last couple of weeks And I thought, man, what are the traits of David? I mean, what are some of the things that really pointed out that that this guy was a guy who was after God's heart? And you can really go back to the very beginning when David's out there in the shepherd field and and Saul shows up at Jesse, his father's house, to anoint one of his sons to be the new king over Israel because Saul had messed the job up. And and so, you know the story how Jesse brought all of his sons in and, you know, there was Eliab, the big bad boy, you know, the, the eldest, and, and who stood, you know, head and shoulders above the other guys. And yet at the same time as Saul went down, he found that none of these people were the ones that God chosen, And they didn't even bother to call David out of the field to bring him in. It's like even Jesse kind of belittled him to a certain extent. And Saul says, there's got to be somebody else. Man, I know I heard God's voice. And can you imagine what, what, how David must have felt when he walked into the living room or in the kitchen and there is Saul, the rock star of Israel. I mean, Saul is like, I mean, uh, Samuel. Samuel is like the rock star, man. I mean, he is the head. He's the heavy. And, and, and here he is with this big cruise of oil and he pours that oil on David's head and he says, Thou art anointed to be king of Israel. And David's just a young man. You know, but what does he do? He doesn't say, he said, well, hang on, hang on, Sam. I'm going to go pack my bags so we can go to the palace because you know what? I'm ready to roll, buddy. And, And that ain't what he did. Amen. The Bible says he went back to the shepherd fields and he waited his time. What a heart of humility. You don't see him like Joseph running around sporting a fresh coat, you know? I mean, you see him out there doing what God called him to do until it was God's time for him to do something else. What a heart of humility. Amen. And that something else came on a battlefield when a big old nine-foot giant was standing in front of all the armies of Israel saying, you know, I defy you. I defy the armies of God. David shows up with some little cheese sticks and some bread, and for his brothers. And he happens to hear that Goliath speak those words, and and, and his heart of zeal and faith rises up within him. And he says, "Wait a minute, man! Who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's talking trash about our God? And why are you guys just standing around doing nothing? Isn't it time for you to rise up? Is there not a cause?" Amen. So David's faith and courage brought him to the forefront. Amen. He had a heart of faith, he had a heart of worship. Man, you know, Saul started chasing David all over creation, and you know, wanting to kill him, and he was having to live in caves and out in the wilderness and run for his life. And, 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 you know, and there was a place in the Word where it says that he looked down upon, where he was at, he could see the well of Bethlehem. And he said, oh man, I just wish I would give anything if I could just have a drink of that water right there. That is some of the best water. I've had it. And, and two of his men loved David so much, they snuck under cover of darkness into Bethlehem. And they took a, a cruise of water and took that water and brought it back to David. And David looked at that water and he didn't pour himself a drink and say, Man, this is good, boys. Thank you. But he looked and he poured the water out on the ground as an offering unto God a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of respect two times two times not once but twice the man that wanted him dead more than anybody else was placed right in David's hands one time David walked up to him and Saul was asleep in a cave and he cut a part of his uh, his his robe off so that he could show Saul look man this is how close I was to putting a sword right through you buddy this is how I could have had you that fast but I chose not to because I respect God's anointed even though you aren't doing what you're supposed to do, you're still God's man until God says different. Wow, man. That's a, God, that's a guy who has a heart after God. These are the traits that brought David to the forefront. Praise. Oh, man, we're talking about praise? Praise? David danced out all his clothes. Come on now. I mean, they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into, into Jerusalem, and David got so excited that he didn't even care what anybody else was thinking. He was just dancing himself to death, praising God, filled with joy, and, and, and just wanting to uh, raise God up to the highest highest place he could. He had a heart of praise. So there were so many things that David had going for him. But I think probably today, what this passage that we looked at this morning probably uh, exhibits probably one of the main reasons why David was a man after God's own heart, short of repentance. David was a man who was willing to repent. When he made a mistake, he was willing to say he was sorry. When he, when he messed up, he fell on the grace and the mercy of God. And he, and he called out to God to restore him in the midst of, uh, of his mess-ups. But beyond that, David had a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. That brings us to our story today. Are y'all with me? Is it Pentecost Sunday? Remember? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. All right. So, so David, Amen, is is sitting at his table. Look, I mean, I want you to imagine. David is king. He's been king. He's vanquished. Uh, you know, many of his enemies. He's at a time of peace. Things are good, man. Things are good. David wasn't always running and fighting. There were times when he could kick back and relax and enjoy what God had given him. And I I can just imagine David sitting at the king's table and maybe got through with a nice ribeye steak meal or whatever it was they ate. We know it wasn't pork chops. Amen. But he got through with a, a, a good solid meal and he pushes away from the table and maybe, just maybe, he began to reflect on all God had done for him. Have you ever reflected on all God's done for you? Do we ever take into consideration where we were and how far God has brought us? Amen. How much that God has blessed us with that we didn't deserve? Hello. Amen. You know, if we're not careful, we become kind of immune to the fact that, hey, you know, but for the grace of God, there goeth I. I mean, you know, I I remember one time, I I, I think I told you all about that, where I picked up that homeless guy. And, and, you know, uh, as I was bringing him back to Pineville after he spent the night at our house and we fixed him a meal and and washed his clothes and gave him a tent and whatever, and, and I was bringing him back and old Charlie looked at me and he said, you know, he said, people don't realize, he said, but it's a real short journey from where you are to where I am. Those words stuck with me. I remember that. And I thought to myself, you're probably right. He said, I wasn't always like this, man. I wasn't always destitute. Things happen. And in a moment of time, you find yourself in a situation that you thought you would never be in. Amen. David, sitting back, you know, thinking about how great God is. And he thought to himself, man, I have been so blessed. I just want to bless somebody. You ever want to just bless somebody? Amen. I am so blessed. I just want to bless somebody back. Man, that is a spirit that we need flowing in the house of God. The church needs to be one that is reaching out beyond the four walls of our building here amen not only in our community or but in our family in our jobs uh you know in the world beyond where we live amen we need to have a heart and attitude of compassion amen that says you know what i don't i know god's blessed me i've got something but i want to be able to bless somebody else praise the lord i had a friend of mine deborah sneller who was a missionary she was a missionary in the, uh, is it, where do they live? Arctic or Antarctic? There's people in one of them. See, I always get them mixed up. Huh? Arctic. She was a missionary to the Arctic. Very attractive, petite, blonde lady. You look at her, you would never think that this woman was lit, had been living up in the Arctic braving those elements for the last two years you know and and she was up there ministering to people who lived up there and she had such a heart for missions such a heart for missions she pastored a church in, in california missouri an ag church there and she told her people it wasn't a real big church but she told her people she said I, you know you hear about pastors and how they have a vision to fill their church up and things that they want to see and this and that and the other and she said you know what my vision is My vision is that I'm going to show up at those doors on one Sunday morning and there's not going to be anybody here. Nobody's going to show up because all of you are out doing something for God. She said, that's my vision. I remember one time she told me they had a mission banquet. They charged everybody like 10 or 15 bucks a plate to come to this missionary banquet. When they got there, they brought out a little bowl of rice and a little glass of water. They all paid 15 bucks for that. And she said, that is what two-thirds of the world is eating tonight, and we're not going to eat any better than them. Amen. She had a way of, she's not pastoring any longer. You can probably understand why. (laughs) But she had a way of bringing things into perspective, man. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? Anybody? Amen. It'll open your eyes, won't it? I mean, I went, to, I went to El Salvador back in 1998, I think it was, and uh, with like 12 other people, and we stayed at an orphanage in El Sa- in San, uh, outside of San Salvador. And the kids in the orphanage were the happiest group of kids I think I've ever seen. They ha- each one of them had a little box about this big. It kind of looked like a little toolbox, like a little metal toolbox. And they had a little, a little padlock on that box. That was their, that was their box. Everything else was community. There was nothing else that belonged to them personally. But if they could put it in that box and put a, blo- a padlock on it, it belonged to them. That was their belongings. Okay? They had one or two sets of clothes. They were the happiest kids you ever seen. Every time you seen them they were laughing and, and joyful and having a good time. You didn't see any sad faces. You didn't hear no complaints. Amen. Once a week, I'm sorry, twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they would go down to the city dump in San Salvador. The, anybody ever been to San Salvador? Anybody? It is a huge city. Huge. And there is millions of people that live there. And, and San Salvador had a city dump where all the trash trucks come in and dumped all the garbage. And there, was, there is a, a bunch of people that lived in that dump... Five generations of people had grown up, got married, had kids, and died in that dump. Out beside where they dumped the trash, there was just cardboard houses... Uh, you know, uh, makeshift little dwellings that were about the size. If you took two eight-foot tables and put them together, that's what they look like. They'd throw some tarp or some plastic over it, whatever they could find to try to kind of in, uh, in, you know, secure it somewhat. And they lived in there, man. And, and they ate what they picked out of the garbage. And from the time these kids were like six years old and up, from the time they were six years old and up, they worked with their family eight hours a day working through the piles of garbage that the truck would bring trying to find recyclable material, whether it was cardboard, aluminum, whatever it is. And once a week, the recycling truck would come. And if all four of the family members worked eight hours a day, they might make about ten bucks a week. This is the life they were living. I went out there. The orphan kids went twice a week and brought lunch to the little kids, five and under. They would teach a little Bible study, and they would, you know, a little little Sunday school lesson, and they would feed them a sandwich and some chips or whatever. And that was probably the only meal that those kids got. The mortality rate was very big. I went out, we were supposed to go out there twice. I went once. I couldn't go back. I felt so ashamed that I had it so good. And they had it so poorly, only because they happened to be born in a different part of the world. That's the only reason. The only reason. It wasn't because they weren't hardworking. It wasn't because they didn't care. It wasn't because they weren't trying. They were there because that's where they ended up. And I remember I come home from that trip from El Salvador, and we got in late at night because we flew into St. Louis, and I think I got in the house about 4 o'clock in the morning, and my, you know, I went to bed. My wife, she had went out and got some ribeye steaks and she had made a really nice meal. And I, got, I remember waking up about 2 or 3 in the afternoon we came in there with my girls and we sat down at that table to pray over that meal. And man, I couldn't even hardly eat that meal because I thought, I don't deserve this. God has been so good to me and I don't deserve any of His blessings. Amen. But that's the way God is. He blesses you in spite of yourself. Amen? But when He blesses you, He expects something from us. And David, had a, he got a hold of that truth. And, and he was sitting there and he thought to himself, man, there's got to be somebody I can bless with what I've got. God has given me so much. And his mind went to, to his friend Jonathan who had died with his father Saul. And, and, he, and David, had it not been for Jonathan, David wouldn't even have been there. Amen. Jonathan saved David's life on more than one occasion. And he thought to himself, man, there's be, maybe there's somebody that still belongs to Jonathan's family that I can be a blessing to. Because back in those days, if you were a king, your family members had rights to the throne. So if you became a king somebody else became king, they wanted to do away with your family because they didn't want any rivals trying to get the throne. Are y'all following me? And so most of Saul's family was gone, but but David thought maybe there's somebody left, and and he asked Ziba. Ziba. The name Ziba means statue. I'm going to preach at y'all a little bit this morning. Get ready. I hope y'all brought your steel toed shoes, okay? I'm going to get on your toe for a minute. The name Zeba means statue. There's a lot of Zebas in the church. <laughs> I mean, they're a permanent fixture, but they're just standing around, y'all. I mean, yeah, you know, Zeba had it going on now. Zeba had been a servant to Saul. And when Saul died, David didn't see Zeba as a threat, so he left Zeba in place where he was at. So, Zeba had all kinds of stuff. He had everything that Saul had left. He had all his camels and his donkeys and his cattle. He had his houses. He had his servants. Zeba, by, by, by virtue of just good fortune, happened to be at the right place at the right time. And man, he's kicking it pretty good. Zeba is. And so, David calls Zeba and he says, You know, I was thinking today. I'd like to bless somebody beyond our little palace here. I'd like to get outside of our four walls, and I'd like to be a blessing to somebody who maybe really could use one. Can you think of anybody in the house of my enemy? Huh? There's David's heart. Not your friend. What Jesus said, man, even sinners like their friends. Come on. He said, but loving your enemy. Now, that's a, that's a whole different ball game, y'all. Amen? That's a whole different ball game. Loving your enemy is a whole different situation. That takes the heart of God. Jesus hung on a cross and prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Amen? He said, pray for those that despitefully use you. I remember one time I was going through a situation at a church where all hell was breaking loose and nobody was acting like a Christian. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, but it was ugly. I mean, I've been in bar rooms that were friendlier than this place. <laughs> and, and I thought, man, I started getting a lot of anger, you know. And, and, and the Lord was like, pray for your enemy. And I said, man, how can I pray for these people? I mean, man, they, they're mean. They're, they're mean-spirited. How can I even pray for them? And the Lord said, what is an enemy? What is an enemy? And I thought, an enemy is somebody who wants to kill you. That's an enemy. And the Lord said, Any of these people want to kill you? No. Then they're not your enemy. Come on. Sometimes our perspective has to change just a little bit, how we view other people. You know, it, it's easy for us to think about how Jesus died on the cross for the guy down the street, but did you know Jesus died on the cross for every Muslim in the world as well? Did you know he died for every criminal, every sex offender, every rapist, every burglar and robber? Jesus died for everybody, man. He didn't just die for a select few. He didn't just die for white people. He didn't just die for black people. He died for everybody. He didn't die for just Republicans. He died for Democrats, too, believe it or not. Amen. His love blankets everybody. Amen. His desire, his heart is to see every single person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and escape the eternal flames of hell. Amen. And so Zeba, I can just see Zeba. When David looks at him, you know, Zeba's thinking, man, I'm pretty comfortable. Things are going pretty good for me. I mean, I don't really need nobody rocking the boat. And, and, and Zeba comes to David, and David says, is there anybody in your master's household who used to be my enemy? Is there anybody left that I could possibly show favor to? And I could just see Ziba going, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there is, but you don't want to do it, okay? I mean, you know, he's got that no face, you know. No, what are you thinking? Uh, David, come on, you must have a little indigestion from your, your salami you just ate or whatever. I don't, and he's, he's like, yeah, yeah, well, there's this one guy, but, you know, I mean, he's, he's crippled, man. You know how he got crippled? He got crippled because when he was like three or four years old and Saul and Jonathan were killed, his, he had a nurse and his nurse grabbed him up and, was, and, and they thought that he would be, he would be uh, exterminated because he was in the family of Saul. And so she took off running with him and something happened and she tripped and she fell on his legs and crushed his feet. And as a result of that, Mephibosheth ended up in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. You know what Mephibosheth's name is? It meant extermination of idols. Exterminator of idols. Mephibosheth had a destiny. Amen. A name means something. You know, nowadays, maybe not so much. But still, if you name your kid Bruno or Rocky, plan on getting some notes from the teacher, okay? If you name him Sue, you're probably going to get some notes too. But but back then, a name meant something. Man, Jacob meant con man, supplanter, deceiver. He lived up to his name. Amen. The name David meant loving. He lived up to his name. Mephibosheth was a guy who was probably destined to be something great, but because of a course of events which took place... Y'all listen to me now. Because of his family, because of his grandfather and what his grandfather did, and I'm not talking about generational curses because I don't believe in that nonsense. Okay? What I'm talking about is there are times when people end up in situations that they had nothing to do with. They just ended up there. Lodabar was a place that the name Lodabar means pastureless. Not pasture, but pastureless. In other words, there ain't no grass. They ain't, it's a dry, dusty place. There ain't nothing going on over there that you really want to go check out. Lodabar was a wilderness area. It was on the other side of Jordan. It was, it was, it was a dry, dry place to live. It ain't no place anybody's going to want to go move to. But that's where Mephibosheth ended up. Not because of who he was, but because of who his grandfather was. I'm a counselor, okay? That's what I do for a living. And I work with a lot of people. And I want you to know something. A lot of people's problems stem back to what their dad did, or their grandfather did, or what their mother did. Or people that were supposed to be taking care of them and didn't take care of them like they should. Or people that betrayed them or used them or abused them or molested them or whatever. Amen. And the effects of that are, are, are long-ranging. Amen. It's broad. Man, there's a broad scope of events that take place when you end up in a situation like that. But i got good news for you today. That's not where you got to stay. Amen. You may be there right now. You, may, you could be in this church every week and come and still be plagued with the things that have taken place in your past and in your life with your husband or, or, or with your wife or, or what your kids have done or whatever. Amen. But i got good news for you today. Amen. The King is on your side. The King is on your side. His desire is to pour out His blessings upon you. Amen. And, and so here Mephibosheth is crippled. He's hindered. He, is, he, he bears the marks of his past which he didn't buy. He didn't purchase on his own. But yet there he is. And David says, send somebody. Send somebody. You know what, the only thing that would have made this story better if David would have win himself. Maybe he had too much going on. He might have had some important meetings to take care of. I don't know. But he did this. He sent a chariot to Mephibosheth's house in Lodibar. Everybody said, Lodabar. Low down in Lodabar. <laughs> I mean, that's not no place we want to be. Amen. But you know what? Down in Old Lodabar, where nothing ever happens. And it seems like your fate is sealed because no, there's no future and there's no hope and no vision. You know what? There are a million load of bars in this world. There are a million of them. Man, there are so many people that are dwelling in places that they don't want to be. And I'm not just talking about spiritually. I'm talking about physically. Amen. You know, what? We, we reach out. In what ways we can to try to reach the lost right where they're at. Because you, that's what Jesus did. He went where they were. Jesus didn't just set up shop and say, okay, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, I got the good news, I'm the living water, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the bread. Y'all, come on. Find me. It's not what He did. Man, He walked. He went about doing good. He went to the places that nobody wanted to go to. He crossed cultural boundaries. He decided that he would reach beyond. Amen. He never set up a church. Amen. He established a church. Are y'all hearing me today? Amen. We are the church. And what did he say? Greater things will you do, huh? Greater things will you do after I've gone to the Father. Why? Because there is this thing called multiplication. Amen. Where God is depending on each and every one of us to be an extended hand of Christ. Maybe we can't go. Although you might be able to if you were willing. Amen. If you were tender to God and and open to to God's call on your life and willing to sacrifice no matter what it takes to be the hand of God, you might be one of those that go. I can't think of a better calling. I can tell you right now, the missionaries that I've met, they are awesome individuals. Amen. They're willing to do... You know what? If you read about the history of missions and the, and, the, and the way that missionaries have had to sacrifice, most of the missionaries from in the early 1900s and up, amen, when they went to China or India or Burma or Thailand or any of these places, they would pack their stuff in a coffin because they knew they weren't coming back. They knew that they were going to need that coffin. So when they went to ship it out, when, it, when they went to ship out, they put their stuff in a casket and brought it with them. That's that's dedication, man. That's sacrifice. Can I get an Amen in this house? Amen. <laughs> that's sacrifice. That's dedication. That's commitment. We're so far from that, aren't we? Huh? I mean, honestly, let's be honest. We we have a hard time even just giving. Hello, oh, let me preach a minute. Hang on, I need to ask the pastor to leave the room for a second. (laughs) If you get nervous when somebody starts preaching a message on giving, you have totally missed the biblical principles that God has that He has given us regarding that issue. I'm just being honest with you, Amen. Because giving is not about you losing anything giving is about you gaining. Amen. And not just not just physical or material things, but it's really about you gaining so much more than what you give. Anybody ever heard of the guy Laterno who started the Caterpillar company? You know, uh, his his is an amazing story. This guy wasn't a pastor or a preacher or nothing. He was just he might have been a deacon. Anyway, he was just a Christian guy, and, and you know, and uh, he started the the you know the big Caterpillar D eight D nine. He started that company, and and he he was a believer in God. And he said, you know what? He said, you know, I know that the Bible t- tells us that we should give a tenth of our income uh, to 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 God, but I'm gonna, I'm I'm going to step out on faith a little bit. I'm going to give twenty percent. And so he did. God started blessing him. He said, man, God blessed him so much. He said, I, I, I'm going to give 30%. It got to a place where he said, you know what, I'm going to see if I can outgive God. Because the more he gave God, the more God blessed him back. True story. Letourneau ended up giving God 90% of his profit. And he was still a multimillionaire. God just kept blessing him, kept blessing him, kept throwing money at him. Why? Because you can't outgive God, guys. You can't out-give God. It's not, God is not short on resources. Amen. What He's short on is obedience. Amen. He's looking for us to be willing to trust and put faith in, in, in Him doing what He said to do. Now let me tell you something about tithing. Let me say something about tithing here. I ain't never said this, but I'm going I'm to enlighten you for a second. Tithing is not of the law, as somebody might say. Well, why do you say that, brother? Because tithing went on way before the law even started. The law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. When Cain and Abel brought their offering to God, what do you think that was? That was a tithe. They were honoring God with the fruit of what God had given them. Amen. And the Bible, and there's only one place in the Word of God that I've ever found where God said, Try me. Prove me. See if I'm not wrong. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. Amen. Put your, put your money where your mouth is, more or less. Amen. Try me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out a blessing upon you that you can't even contain. You say, well, wait a minute, brother. All oh, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's bump it up one then. Amen cause Jesus was talking to the Pharisees at one time and he was rebuking them for the way they treated their mothers and their fathers and the and the widows and the orphans and he said you guys pay tithes but you don't take care of these, uh, these down and outers he said he didn't say you shouldn't pay tithes he said you should have done one and not left the other undone amen giving is just an act of god you want to have a heart of god you got to you got to be a giver you can't be a giver and not have the heart of God. Come on. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. He gave his only begotten Son. If we're going to have the nature of Christ, we got to be givers, y'all. We got to be. And Jesus said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over. Amen. You're not going to lose nothing by giving to God, you lose by not giving. Amen, because your faith always stays right where it's at. Amen. What is faith? Faith is not looking in your checkbook and saying, well, let's see, I, I can afford to give 12 more dollars this month. That's not faith. Faith. I heard somebody say, "Faith. If, if you give in faith, if it doesn't make you nervous, it's not faith. Although the Bible does say be anxious for nothing. I had this guy in my church one time. And he called me up one day. He goes, Brother Gary, I need you to come over and talk to me. And I said, okay. So I go over there, right? And I, and I sit down in the, in, the, in the living room there. And he says, uh, I'm going to have to quit coming to church. And I said, why? Why? What are you talking about? And he said, well, he said, uh, you know, I, I believe that tithing is biblical. And, and I believe that God would have me to obey him in that way. But I just can't do it. I just can't. He said, so I, you know, I don't want to be disobedient, so I just ain't going to come. <laughs> this is the logic this guy has going on, right? And I'm like, okay. I said, well, you know, why, why, why can you not do that, brother? Well, I, you know, I got a washing machine payment. I got a four-wheeler payment. I got a truck payment. I got to pay my rent. He started giving me all his bills, you know. When I get done, he said, there ain't nothing left for God. You know, I don't have, I don't have any money to give God. And I was, I was like, of course he didn't understand that God's money doesn't belong to him to begin with. That's God's money. You, you, ain't, you ain't got a right to spend God's money. And, but I didn't go there. But I did say this. I said, well, brother, let me ask you a question. I said, do you believe you're saved? Well, yeah, yeah I believe I'm saved. I said, okay, do, do you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Well, yeah, Y'all yeah, believe I'm going to heaven. ever been to heaven? No. Ever seen heaven? No. I'm like, okay, all right. But you believe that? Yes, I believe that. I said, okay. So you're telling me that you got enough faith to believe in in a Jesus Christ that you never saw, that died on a cross that you never saw, made a way for you to go to heaven that you never saw, and that you're going to live in eternal glory with him on the streets of gold, but you don't believe that God has enough faith, that you don't have enough faith to believe that God can pay your washing machine payment? For real? <laughs> I said, I tell you what, I'm going I'm to test you, brother. This is what I told him. I said, This is how much faith I got, and I'm struggling, okay? I said, This is what I'm going to tell you. You pay your tithes next week. And if you ain't got enough money to pay your washing machine payments, you call me up and I'll pay it for you. How's that? I said, but I want you to learn that God will not let you down. He has your back. Amen. God is never going to let you down. He is is never going to be befuddled by anything that comes down your way because before it ever got to you, it had to pass by Him. Amen. There's nothing that comes to the believer that God does not already aware of. Amen. He will bless you. He'll bless your socks off if you'll let Him. Amen. If you'll leave your hand open, God will let a lot of cash flow through it. But when you start shutting your hand up, let me tell you something. God shuts off the water spout. Because He says, if you're going to shut your hand up, that must be all you need. Are you all with me today? Can I get an amen? We better get back to Mephibosheth. <laughs> Mephibosheth shows back up at the king's court. Right? He shows up at the king's court. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what that scene must have looked like? First of all, he doesn't even know why he's there. Amen. All he knows is that the king found out who he was, found out where he was, and went and got him and brought him there. This is the last living regent to the throne. Amen. So he could easily be walking into a place where, you know, your head's coming off. And Mephibosheth, they opened the doors. I can just see those doors. They're probably two or three stories high, man, in the palace of the king. And they opened the door. And they, maybe they had one of those, one of those uh, uh, heralds that stands in front of them and says, King David, I present to you Mephibosheth, grandson of King Saul, your enemy. Mephibosheth's like, thanks a lot, dude. And so, you know, in a moment like that, you might want to look like you got it going on. You might want to have a little swagger. You know, but, but no, not my Says He's crippled. And so he walks in. It's probably quiet as a mouse in there. I wish this was a wooden floor. Can you imagine? As he walks in with his crutch and his brokenness and the pain of the past, and his hopelessness, and his lack of future. And there's David sitting on the throne. And, he, and there's Zeba. And David looks at him and says, Mephibosheth, I'm going to bless you. I've called you here today because I have been given much and I want to bestow some upon you. I want to be your Savior. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be your provider. I want to be your friend. I want to be the one that you can depend on. I want to be that guy that that will make sure that you will never want for anything the rest of your life. Wow, man. That is what the lost and dying world needs to hear. There is one King, Jesus. Jesus who has come to this world with one message, I am here to be your Savior. I'm here to be your provider. I'm here to give you a vision. I'm here to put hope in your heart. I'm here to heal your brokenness. Your brokenness doesn't doesn't scare me. It doesn't turn me off. In fact, I welcome you to come and be a part of what I've got going on. And you know what? It's not just going to be for today. Amen. Today's not the only day that I'm going to bless you. Because David looked at Mephibosheth and he said, not only that, but you are going to eat at my table the rest of your natural born life. I am going to be your Savior from now on forever. And ever. (laughs) And ever. Come on, y'all. Somebody put your hands together in this house. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what He did for us. That's what He did for you and for me. I don't know about you. I didn't have broken feet, man, but I had a broken life. I was lost and undone. I was hopeless. I had no vision. I had no help. Amen? I had spurned all the help away that could possibly be given to me. Amen? But you know what? When Jesus stepped into my world, He made a difference. Not just for that day, but for the day after and the day after and the day after. We as a church have to determine what role we're going to play in reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. And when I say we as a church, I don't mean new life church. I mean you and you and you and you and me. We are the church. It's not the seats. It's not the building. It's not the property. It's us, man. I mean, if we're going to to be a mission-minded church, then we have to have mission-minded people. We have to be the ones to determine that what's more important than us buying a new, uh, another Big Mac this week is maybe reaching somebody with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that pioneer guy? What's his name? Rich. When he came for our mission conference, I was so touched by their ministry. I, I, mean, I supported every one of them. Amen. How can you not? Amen. <laughs> how could you not? I don't understand how you couldn't. Amen. I don't, I don't care if you're just giving $5 a month. You should be supporting somebody. Amen. And so like when every week or every month when Rich sends me the, the thing, it says on there, there's a little letter or whatever, how many of you get one? I don't never mind, I'm sorry, I should miss it. Okay. So yeah, there's a little letter on there that says, Because of your gift this month, such and such tribe, the Beyong Yonkees or whatever, I don't know what they I can't even pronounce them. I mean, there's some tribe in bushland somewhere, you know. But that's not the point. The point is is that they are people that Christ died for. <laughs> Amen. Who need to hear the Word of God. And he said, but because of this, your, your gift made it possible for us to give them uh, a, a verse of Scripture or two verses of Scripture. He said, well, big deal. No, that is a big deal, dude. That's a huge deal. I remember Robert Holmes was a great missionary in Nigeria. I heard him tell a story one time where there was a guy he gave a Bible to. or It might have not been him, but it was somebody that he knew that gave the, the guy a Bible. I don't want to fabricate, but it did happen. And the guy said, it was a Muslim guy. And the guy said, I'm not, he said, you give me that Bible. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. He said, yeah, what's that? He said, I'm going to tear the pages out and roll tobacco in it. He said, I'm, I'll use it for rolling papers. And he said, okay, do me a favor. Promise me that you'll read every page before you smoke it. Guys said, okay. One day he tore a page out and he was looking at it and it said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that Muslim's heart was touched. And, and, and he, was, he felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He ended up getting saved from reading that one verse. There was a little girl. True story. little girl wanted to be a missionary. More than anything in the world, she felt called to be a missionary from the time she was very young. And, and some, uh, she, was, she had planned. She set her course to do that. And about the age of 15 or 16, she was in a car wreck. And it totally paralyzed her from the waist down. She was so sad. She was so discouraged. She felt like her, her vision and her hope was gone. Amen. And, and so one day she'd sit in her room and her mom would try to cheer her up and do things. She wouldn't, she wouldn't respond really. And, and this little girl, this, she got an idea one day. And she said, Mom, you know those tanks of helium that you can rent? Yeah. She said, "Would well, you go get me one of those and a bunch of balloons. And her mom just happy to see her, you know, cheer up to some extent. She said, Sure, honey, I'll do that. So she went and got this tank of helium in these balloons, right? And this little girl sat at her desk and she wrote on these little pieces of paper and put scriptures on the scripture passages on this paper, and she'd stick it in the balloon and she'd blow it up and then she'd go over to her window and let it fly. One day, a knock came at her door. A man well dressed stood at the door. He said, and she had her name and address on the back of each one. And the the man came to her door and he said, Is so and so live here? She goes, Yeah, that's my daughter. She said, Could I talk to her for a second? Come to find out, this guy was a well known physician. He had been called from an early age to be a missionary to Africa. But, he, but instead, he, he put his course on being a doctor and a surgeon. And he said he got that balloon. It was laying up the front of his door when he came home from work one night from the hospital. And he opened it and he noticed that there was a... Th- and he opened the piece of paper and there was Isaiah chapter 6 where it said, Who shall go before me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, Lord, send me. Send me. His heart was smote. And he said, I've determined that I'm going to go to Africa and do what God called me to do in the beginning. So you never know, man. This is how God works. That's crazy. You believe that? Well, you don't have to believe it if you don't want but that's how God works. God does crazy stuff like that. Has He ever done anything crazy in your life? He has in mine many times. Amen. That's the way God works. When God wants to get our attention, He can get our attention. Have I gotten your attention? That's the question. Amen. My goal today for this message is to plant a seed of thought in your heart and mind that you would be willing to step up and be all that God intends you to be. You know, I was reading this morning, and I'm going to close with this. I was reading this morning in Acts chapter chapter 1, I believe it is, where Jesus ascends unto the Father from the Mount of Olives. And I believe that this is the same scene that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it said that there at one time Christ, the risen Christ was seen by over 500 people at once. I personally believe that was the day He's talking about that these people were gathered, and I'll tell you why. Because he told them to go to the upper room and seek for the power of the Holy Spirit, and 120 of them showed up. So if you think about the church in general, if you tell 500 people to do something, probably about 120 of them is going to listen. (laughs) So the odds are about right, you know? Like 25% of them actually respond, you know? And so that's just from my own pastoral perspective. Uh, And anyway... So, so anyway, so like they can, they watch Jesus ascend from the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine? Put yourself there for a second, man. Christ gives them the last command that he can possibly give them, and and, and all of a sudden he begins to bodily ascend unto heaven, right? And so like we're sitting there, and we're all standing there, and we're watching. I mean, this looks like that balloon, you know, floating up. You ever sit there and watch one of them balloons? Do they just get smaller and, smaller and you just can't see it no more? You know, can you imagine? That's probably what it was like. I mean, they were watching Jesus, and they're like, holy cow, look at this. Check this out, man. That is a long ways up there. All of a sudden, he's gone, finally, out of their sight. And it is quiet as a mouse, and they're all looking at the same thing. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice, and they turn around, and there are two angels standing right there. Two angels, not one, two. They sent a pair of them. And the one angel looks at him and says, and this is what he said, this is so great, this will preach. I could have preached this this morning. But I'd had to get a little rougher. <laughs> this is what the angel said. Why are you just standing around? <laughs> huh? Why stand here gazing? What are you doing? Did you not hear what he said? This same Jesus is going to come back in like manner, just like he left to this very spot. Now then you need to be out doing the master's business. Stop standing around looking up into the sky, man. You know what? That's kind of what we do sometimes. Yeah, I heard a story one time about a guy who had a big old wheat combine, you know, and, and like he invited some people out, and, and man, they went in this big old shop. They had this big building built that he built specially for it. And he went in, and it was just as shiny and pretty. And he got up there, and he said, man, ain't this something? Ain't this nice? Oh, yeah, that's nice. And he gets up there in the cockpit, and he turns that thing up. Man, that motors were just a rumbling. He's like, man, listen to the power. And so like, man, whoa, man, that sucker's got some power now. Look how wide that, that, that them blades are. Man, I can do 50 feet of wheat at once or whatever, you know. He comes back down. He shuts it off. And they're like, wow, that is something. Why is it so shiny? He said, well, I never took it out of the building. Are you getting it? Sometimes we got all this power, man. We got what we need. We got the tools. We got the tools. We got the power. We got the ability to do great things. But... Sometimes we're just sitting in the building, doing nothing, listening to it, talking about it, looking at it. Let's use it. Let's use it. Amen? Can anybody say amen? Thank you. <laughs> amen. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to say a prayer. Y'all ready? Amen. Father, thank you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for your presence in this house. Thank you for your anointing, O oh God. Thank You for Your Word. God, more than anything, God, we just want to be people who have a heart after You. God, we want to be people of compassion, people of love. God, people who are willing to either go, give, or pray. God, whatever it is that You've called us to do, God, help us to be obedient and yielded to Your Spirit. Father God, Lord, as we reach out, Lord, whether it's to Brother Josh's church and, and Noel and the people that he's trying to reach, or whether it's to the Scripture translators or, or, or the folks at Surge or, or missionaries that are in our life that we are not associated with personally in, in our church, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We're all workers together. We're all laborers in the field. God, help us, Lord, to support your work, and to do the work of God as you would have us to do it, God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have faith, to rise up, and to do more than what we're doing now, perhaps. God, maybe we're doing all we should be, but if we're not, Father, God, give us faith, Lord. Give us courage, God, to take a bold step for you. And God, Lord, we just thank you today. And we worship you today, and we honor you today. And I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for the Spirit, the receptiveness, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, God, for all your love and your mercy and your grace, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a wonderful day today.